Hi, I'm Aria Evans, and this is The D Word. This season, the theme is activism. We are jumping into the work of three dance artists who through performance, choreography, and production are driving social justice. Through conversations about representation, caregiving, and reclamation, we spotlight the issues that these artists care about to answer the question, how is our sector leading social change? This episode, we have Raven Wings calling in. Raven Wings is a Tanzanian, Bermudian, Mohawk, Two-Spirit, and queer storyteller. She is a co-founder of Il Nana Diverse City Dance Company, a co-founder of Black Lives Matter Canada, a co-founder of the Wild Seed Centre for Arts and Activism, a Canadian best-selling author, and a 2021 Top 25 Woman of Influence in Canada recipient. Sego Raven, I'm so happy to have you here joining us. Thanks for carving out the time. I'm excited to be in conversation with you. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start by asking you about Black Lives Matter TO and how you first got involved with that movement. Yeah, absolutely. Black Lives Matter Toronto chapter began in around 2014, 2015. And I was very, very heavily involved with um, the LGBTQ community in terms of um, organizing community space, as well as dance programming, um, anything that was related to like harm reduction and better health with our bodies and relationship to our bodies I was doing. And um, I got connected with the Black Lives Matter chapter um, and they asked me to choreograph a flash mob with a bunch of other choreographers and it was really fun, we came together And it was the first time that I had used my choreography for a movement. And so it was really exciting to to think about it that way, to articulate um, my choreography that way. And it was for this event called Take Back the Night, which is a night for um, survivors of gender-based and sexual violence to take back the streets and and to own our possibilities and to, make people aware of what's happening. It was a collaboration with Black Lives Matter Toronto. And so um, it was really beautiful. We we marched and we stopped and performed the Spadina and Queen. That's an interesting area for me because it's a, it's a multiple things happen in that space for me. I've had like lots of transphobia, lots of homophobia in that area. And so I didn't really feel safe in that area regularly. But here we were in the middle of the street dancing to Michael Jackson's They Don't Really Care About Us and mm. doing um, step dance, which I had learned from Atlanta, Georgia, high school days. And it was just really beautiful, all these things coming together. And it reminded me of my five-year-old dream of <laughs> becoming Michael Jackson and wanting to be a star and wanting to have influence and, and change the world. and um, it all sort of was compacted in that moment. It's a pretty incredible dream for a five-year-old. It was, yeah. I think, I don't know, maybe I was a different five-year-old, but I, I just, I was really looking for safety. I had, I was bullied so much at four that I was just like, oh, how do I get safe? And I don't think I was using that kind of language, but I saw Michael Jackson 
and he had a soft voice and he was effeminate and people celebrated him. And I was like, oh, that's who I have to become in order to be safe. Of course, as a five-year-old, I didn't know all the things that he was going through mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, all, all his stuff. But that was sort of, I think, why I leaned into dance and performance and all that. It was really about trying to carve safety out for myself. So it was a really interesting moment. And so then I started showing up at their rallies and actions and trying to support in the ways that I could by teaching dance and stretch because I was just like, um, they're doing really intense work. It's really traumatic on the body. And a lot of them don't have a body practice. And so I was just like, well, that's what I can offer because I don't have organizing strategy. I didn't want to be a part of this chapter that wasn't anywhere near my intention. Um, I just wanted to be useful. And so I went and I taught stretching, particularly at the Tent City Action in 2015. It was very, <laughs> very cold outside. And so I was just, we did singing circles and drum circles and there were indigenous elders there. And uh, it was, and, and land protect, it was just so um, full of life and beautiful. And it gave us an idea of what um, solidarity could really, really look like if we came together. It was a really um, intense a beautiful experience. And there was one night in particular where the police came out and bum rushed everyone wow. and knocked us down to the street. And it was really intense because I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I, I've seen a lot, but I had never seen that image other than on like uh, an old video of the civil rights movement, you know, like that they were in this formation and I'm like, mm. this is Toronto, what's happening? Um, so all of my illusions kind of broke about what was safer in Canada and all that kind of stuff. And so um, they came down and they pushed elders down and kids down. And it was, it was just so horrifying. And what, what got me was that they looked terrified. And so I understood something in that moment. I was like, wow, there's so much at play here. It's a deeper system. But I was protected. People surrounded me and got me out of the area. And, and then I came up the next morning and I was like, okay, we're going to stretch it out. We're going to work it out. And then I organized, I helped them organize a night of performances and storytellers and all that kind of stuff. And I was just trying to be helpful. <laughs> and then they asked me to join and I did so naively, but I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. I want to take you back to something you were saying about how when you were invited to, to choreograph in collaboration with other choreographers at Flash Mob, you said that you, your choreography took on a new form, how did you approach your choreography differently after that? The truth is, because I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, I was surrounded by conversations of civil rights movement. I was surrounded by like these monuments to Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. And and so for me, I always wanted to be a part of Mm. revolution. I always wanted to be sort of one of those people, but I didn't think I could be because my voice was too soft. I didn't look like what I thought I was supposed to look like in order to do it. And so I had sort of just let it go. Um, And in that moment when I was chosen to help Corey Raff and Mm. I got to show up as myself, um, I was like, wow, I get to be me in this movement and and impact something. Um, And so I don't have to change it. Wow, that's, that's incredible. And so how can I be more intentional about the stories that I'm telling? Uh, where I'm telling them and who I'm telling them to. Up until that point, I was intentional, but it was a different kind of intention. I wanted to show 
queer and trans and non-binary folks as powerful, as super powerful, as, as I wanted to feel that way because I didn't feel that way. So I was projecting an image that I wanted to grow into, and that's what Ilnana Diversity Dance Company was initially. So this was a change for me. I was like, oh, okay, I can be part of a movement. Okay, what does that look like? And so I thought about Nina Simone and um, James Baldwin, and I sat down and I like studied their work and the work of Lucille Clifton and Kimberly Crenshaw, and I really, really like thought about how what would it mean for me to identify as a Renaissance artist in this time period? What would that look like? And then I started doing that within my burlesque, within everything. As someone coming to Black Lives Matter Toronto chapter with a dance background, how did this training inform your approach to community organizing? I sat down and I had a conversation with um, Cyrus Marcus Ware. We had known each other for some time. Actually, Cyrus um, gave us our first real gig. Um, and so we had this history and, I, and he talked about being an abolitionist. And mm-hmm. I didn't really understand what that meant. And so I sat down and I was like, can I have an honest conversation with you? Can I just like ask you questions that might seem ridiculous or um, annoying? I just want to understand, you know? And he sat down with me and I asked about like, what does it mean to be an abolitionist? What does that look like? And he said, it looks like all the things that we do. It looks like dance. It looks like storytelling, art. It looks like community building. It looks like disability justice. And I was like, what's that? Um, it's like accessibility. It's it's like really fighting for a different understanding of wellness and how we relate to it. And I was like, oh, okay, I do that. I just didn't know that I was doing an aspect of it. And so now I can be more intentional in how I do it and and and, and what it means for me to take up certain spaces and, and to work in solidarity with other spaces. And so it really just got me to think about my relationships to um, the work that I was doing and the people who I was doing it with. Um, I've always said, I think, um, since those conversations with Cyrus, <laughs> um, that activism is just relationships. It's just like passing on relationships around and, and you're just learning how to work with each other and understand each other and with the land, with the planet, all the things. And so um, mm. it just changed how I wanted to be with people. I just wanted to be better around folks and understand my impact. And so I had to look at where first I was not moving in principled ways um, I was like, okay, this is what the movement stands for. Am I doing that in my interpersonal relationships, in my work that's going out there? Mm-hmm. And I started to shift and change things that I wanted um, to move. Like one of my friends describes it as flying an airplane while learning how to fly an airplane. So you're, you're in the movement trying to learn how to navigate it and um, change it and, and impact it. Um, and so it was beautiful. And it really helped me to articulate my talents that I didn't actually think that I had um, or had buried or, or through shame and, and bullying and all the things I experienced. And so BLM really helped me to give a voice vocally to what I had given a voice to my body. You know, I had like silenced, I've been silenced and then I took everything into my body so I could speak movement wise, but not so much to my voice through what I was saying anymore. So they really helped me 
putting me in situations where I had to articulate my ideas and um, how I related to things. And I was a different kind of speaker because I didn't come from academic backgrounds. And so I didn't use that to relate to people. I'd be like, so I'm new to this. And this is really difficult to understand, but here's how I got to it. And I felt like people were really starting to take to my way of relating to them. And I just developed more over time. It's incredible to hear you talk about that reciprocity, how like your movement practice supported the work that you were doing and vice versa, how being surrounded by a group of people that were more vocal in a different way also gave back to you. You spoke just now about collaboration, and I know this is something that is very alive in you and your history. You are the co-founder of Ilnana, a diversity dance company, and which is described as a queer multiracial dance company. Uh, how has that role integrated into your trajectory as an activist? It is wild because I was having a conversation with Cian Adelam yesterday. Um, and I was so grateful. I was just feeling so full and so grateful. And I was crying a little bit because I was just like, Ilnana Diversity Dance Company started in our living room. Us and our best friend. And we were dancing all the time. We would just come home from school or from whatever we were doing work and we just dance for, for whatever reason. And I was like, I wanna change something. I wanna take this into the school. I wanna do drag in school and just like change everything because I think that if they knew that drag existed, they knew that this kind of storytelling related to people in these really beautiful, magnificent ways, it could change how people are coming to the theater and are experiencing dance. Um, but I never expected Ilnana to be what it was. That was it was just what we were doing while we were going for other jobs. And it, and it ended up connecting with community and we understood. But at 2010, there was a, the, the disaster in Haiti, the earthquake, and we were asked to perform and up until then, we had just been doing hip hop. We had just been doing street styles and different things like that, that we weren't allowed to do at Toronto Dance Theater. It was such a special moment because we did contemporary. It was like this return to this training that we had done and had abandoned because it was so painful and brought it back for this, this reason. It was so beautiful. And then we added Diversity Dance Company to our name because we started as Il Nana you know, the era, the era of Foxy Brown and Little Kim. We added diversity dance, diversity because we wanted our dance company and our work to reflect the city that we lived in. The stories that were um, hidden, the, the, the people who um, we had learned from, who we wanted to offer to, um, and it became like a, a mission, like our name is the mission of the dance company. And so it has given me everything everything that I'm experiencing right now, this activist fame, Black Lives Matter, conversations with people who I looked up to my entire life in rooms where my influence is impacting how trans and non-binary people can be hired. Um, Ilnana gave me all of those particular strategies. 
And I'm so, 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 so grateful for that journey. Your five-year-old self, I think, would be really delighted to to hear you say that. In many of the articles talking about your your activist fame (laughs) in many of the articles that have been written about you and when I listen to the speeches that you've made when you speak publicly one of the things that really hits me at my core is how your art is driven by wanting to have conversations that open people's minds and open people's hearts by encouraging self-reflection and empathy And I see this as such a beautiful way to operate in the world and to engage with folks. How did you come to that place? Wow. Ooh, I'm I'm gonna get emotional. Uh, My mother was a teacher. Um, And I got to watch her relate to students who had very different backgrounds and very different uh, brilliances that she acknowledged and talk to us about me and my twin brother. And I think it was like just watching her shift. Like she would change how she spoke to this one and change how she spoke to that one. And they would feel seen and their behaviors would change. These are usually children who they call like problem children or behavioral issues. Um, And sometimes they would stay at our house and um, we became friends. And it was just this really interesting thing. So definitely my mother um, who pushed me and put me into like a speaking program called Toastmasters that I hated. I hated it, but she wanted, she wanted, but she did that I think because um, as a kid, I didn't speak. And, and so at like seven years old, she was like, you're going to have to learn how to articulate yourself. I know you know how you feel. Um, But when I ask you how you're doing, I need you to give me like five words to answer. Like she had to teach me how Mm -hmm. to um, have conversations with people and relate to people um, because I was so nervous of being wrong or or sounding whatever way. And I was afraid of my voice and all those kinds of things. So I think when I'm teaching, when I'm sharing in in any space, um, I think about that. It's like, how am I going to relate to people in a way that doesn't make people feel like crap because they don't know. You know, I, I, I want to be helpful. <laughs> and, I, and I fully, fully believe that shame and punishment are things that don't help people to grow. Guilt is not something that's useful, but it's often what mm. is used sometimes, even by activists on the left, to, to get people to stand up and do something, but it doesn't work. Um, for some people, it might initiate something but I, I don't feel like it's a holistic way of engaging with the work it's a lifetime kind of thing and if you're going to do it for a lifetime you have to have self-reflection how do you feel and that comes from dance body practice and I mean like how am I feeling what's happening with me when I came into the team yeah I was like um so what's the safety plan and they were like sorry what I was like yeah like what like, I know we have a safety plan for everyone who's coming, but like, what, what about us on the team? 
Like, oh, we don't, oh, we just have to go. I was like, no, 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 no. If this movement is about mm. us saying that this is about the elevation of Black lives, the protection and support of Black lives, the acknowledgement of Black trans women and queer folks, which we all are, then we actually have to center that within what we're doing. It has to be on the inside and the outside. Otherwise, like, why are we doing it? You know, everyone has to come up together. It's It's not like one group is pulling another group that doesn't work. We've seen those strategies not work. So for me, it's just constant learning. Just learning from people, from history, from kids, from everyone, just people who are speaking. Um, and so I like to um, have conversations with people, like my mom had conversations with me. Um, and I started BLM speeches in high schools talking to 15 year olds and 14 year olds. And I was like, how am I gonna relate to them? Because it's not like they don't understand certain experiences. I don't wanna make it feel like they don't know. <laughs> um, so I just related it to situations that, that they might understand, like bullying, for example. And, and it really did help people to understand um, the movement more. Um, that was my goal, to be like, I want people to understand what abolition is. I want people to understand what why Black Lives Matter exists, what we're doing here. And now I'm interested in joy and, and wellness. Mm. Um, and, and not wellness in this, in this way that I feel like right now there's this conversation a lot about mental health and you're talking about that more as COVID is happening. And um, I get a little frustrated <laughs> because people talk about mental health, like the goal ultimately is just to get back to productivity. And I feel like wellness is wherever you're at. So how can we make um, the conversations about mad disabled people as desirable states of being, as opposed to um, you need to get better, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to go on a diet, all that kind of stuff. I feel like it's not wellness to me. One of the words that you used was holistic. And I think Thinking about your practice in that way, thinking about the way you want to engage with politics in that way is such a, a beautiful way to encompass mm. all of those things and to move forward from that place. I have one last question for you. Okay. You mentioned Cyrus Marcus Ware earlier, and I understand that he created yeah. your Patreon account, which is where I am asking this question from, because you talk about creating a revolutionary arts practice. And you spoke about your return to contemporary dance in one of the um, like activisms that you did. In what ways do you desire to challenge mainstream arts and dance spaces through your work? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think it has changed so much over time. There were times when I went into, wanted to go into institutions to be like, I'm going to change you. I'm going to go in and I'm going to fix it. And mm. I'm going to create band-aids and, you know, um, and that's an approach, but I think it exhausted me. You know, I, I was just, over 2020, 2021, I've been having lots of conversations with lots of organizations and 
in places about inclusion and diversity and activism and the movement. And with dance, I feel like there's a way that certain art forms distance themselves from hum- humanness. <laughs> and I feel like dance is one of those. Um, there's this way that dancers, institutionalized dancers, I should say, remove themselves from society a little bit. Like we talk about certain choreographies, for example, as pedestrian, for example. <laughs> and so like the, the, the ways that we look at regular human life prevent us from from understanding our role in changing it and offering to it. And this is from James Baldwin, um, thinking about like how you use art as a hammer sometimes. Sometimes art reflects the world Mm. we live in and sometimes it needs to be the thing that changes it or shows a different possibility. And so, um, you know, I, I, I hope that mainstream institutionalized dance programs, um, companies who are doing work, um, indigenize their practices respectfully. (laughs) Mm. Um, You know, respectfully, Mm -hmm. not for buzzwords or for merit badges, but for real relationships and for real understanding of what, of ceremony. Art is ceremony. It, it, it's bringing people together. It's, it's learning from each other. Through all of our indigenous histories, there, well, not maybe all, but many of them, there's song and there's dance and there's teachings through those things, you know? And how do we bring those together um, to talk about the environment, to talk about um, over-incarceration, to talk about grief, you know? Uh, or joy, or happiness, or sexuality, whatever, or biracial experiences, whatever it is, you know, I think dance could actually play a much bigger role. And I think in the past it did, which is an interesting thing. In the past, um, singers and artists and dancers were talking about real stuff that was happening in the world, like Shaka Khan and Bertha Kitts, and, you know, they were really talking about their communities, who they are. Um, That's why I really like hip-hop some of hip hop, <laughs> you know, it, you know, we identify what is happening where we are. And so I think dance could stand to do that, identify where it is, how it's situated, thinking about school at Toronto Dance Theater, because that's where I went to school and thinking about the fact that it's in Regent Park, but most of the people who live in Regent Park don't go to that school. Why does that happen? To ask those mm-hmm. questions about who isn't in the room and how we make we change our programs so that people come into those spaces, not just be like, you can come here, but how do you change the inside to be open for most folks to believe that there is possible for them to walk through those doors and to experience um, those things if they want to. I always describe dance as my love language mm-hmm. because it's how I learned how to love myself truly. Um, it's how I understood the energies that, that I was. It's how I understood how to, um, as a burlesque dancer, um, have control over a situation <laughs> in really particular ways, you yes. know? Um, and so it is also the, this, the major speech that people know me from, um, was burlesque. I, 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 I really, I took pauses. I, I, I brought people in. I wasn't doing a performance, um, necessarily, but it was, but I spoke in a way um, 
that uh, I feel like got people to like slow down for a second. Like, okay, we're just going to listen. You know, it's, it's feel, it felt like when I was like getting erratic when I, as, as, as a kid and my mom was like, one second, let's just take a moment. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Cry and then tell me how you feel. And so that's kind of how I approach um, all of it. Your presence inside of what you're doing your work for and the voice that you found coming from an embodied place is so delicious to witness and to to see starting to be recognized in a way that I think it deserves. And I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, the human that you are, the conversations that you're starting. This conversation has been a true delight and I can't wait for the next one. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate being asked to share my story. I like, um, I've done it many times, but I don't take it for granted. You know, um, every, every time I get to share little bits about myself um, or hear it reflected back to me that it's like, it's allowing me to exist <laughs> outside of myself. And, and, and I, I really appreciate that. That's our show. You can find Raven Wings on Twitter and Instagram at Raven Wings. The D Word is presented by Dance Made in Canada, a contemporary dance festival featuring Canadian dance artists who possess unique artistic visions and come from all cultural backgrounds. This year, Dance Made in Canada presents Dance on Film and Video, a curated selection of films screening at the Paradise Theatre in Toronto on August 13th and available on demand at dancemadeincanada.ca for a limited time. The D Word is produced by Gracewell Smith and Sam Hale. Our editor and composer is Jamar Powell. Dance Made in Canada's co-festival directors are Janelle Rainville and Jeff Morris. Yvonne Ng is the artistic director and also co-festival director. And I'm your host, Aria Evans. Thank you to Canadian Heritage, the Canada Council for the Arts, Ontario Arts Council, and Toronto Arts Council for making the D word possible. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to rate and review. Talk to you soon. Bye.